0: Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Good morning, everybody, and thanks for joining us. Um, We're here this morning to talk about one of the most critical, one of the most consequential questions for the 117th Congress and the 46th presidency. Will the filibuster, will extended debate, the very nature of the Senate be preserved, or will it be discarded in favor of ramming through a progressive agenda that does not enjoy uh, broad-based support amongst the people or or in the United States Senate? Uh, To help us uh, sort through this question, Senator Mike Lee is with us, and it is our great privilege to have him with us. Senator Lee is the senior senator from Utah. He's the chairman of the Joint Economic Committee. He's the chairman of the Senate Steering Committee. But I wanted to speak with him about this particular issue because he has the most keen understanding of Senate rules and procedures and where they intersect with future policy outcomes. Make no mistake. When Senator Lee says a rule or a procedure is important, we at Heritage sit down and listen. Senator Lee, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thanks so much, Tommy. I really appreciate the invitation and look forward to a conversation on this really important topic. I can't think of a more important one that we can could possibly discuss. Um, you know, the whole point of the filibuster, uh, just like the point of the Senate itself, is – to provide for a a place where we can have considered deliberative debate to forge compromise and consensus among our uh, diverse and and currently very divided populace. It's a a prudent uh, and common sense way to protect the rights of minority views within a legislative body. Now, the left has, has come instead to view it. Not as a prudent protection for uh, minority rights, but as as an anti democratic obstacle to their version of progress. Uh, And and so they view nuking the filibuster as a pure win for their side with no trade offs and no downsides. By the way, at the outset, we should define what we mean when we refer to nuking of the filibuster. The filibuster itself while not commanded by the constitution is within the Senate's uh, authority under article one of the constitution to uh, adopt a set of rules uh, governing the parliamentary procedure of each house. And uh, the the filibuster itself is often misunderstood. It's, um, It's something that was designed from the outset to allow for unlimited open debate and discussion from the very early years of our Republic. Uh, the the filibuster right consisted of any senator's ability to, having secured the floor, to speak forever in theory, uh, to speak for as long as he or she could stand uh, in order to speak. Over time, uh, just over a century ago, Congress, uh, the, the United States Senate decided to clamp down on this and to adopt something known as the cloture rule, a rule that would allow for a certain supermajority of senators to shut down debate, to bring debate to a close. Uh, as it was initially introduced and as it initially took hold, it was a two-thirds supermajority. Over time, it was reduced down to its current status of uh, three-fifths or 60 votes. Um, and so what we refer to with the nuking of the filibuster is that while the rules of the Senate allow for a filibuster and allow for closure only in the event of 60 votes, 60 senators willing to bring debate to a close and shut off additional debate, Uh, it would take a two-thirds supermajority vote to change that rule. And so that's very difficult. Uh, The process of nuking it involves using a simple majority, 51 votes, to either say there is no filibuster, or the the, the rules have been satisfied here and we're bringing debate to a close. Anything that's a shortcut around it that the rules don't currently allow for uh, would be considered nuking the filibuster. There are exceptions to the cloture requirement, to the the three-fifths or 60-vote cloture standard. Uh, Some of them, uh, they, they exist primarily under what's known as the budget reconciliation process. Uh, In adopting a budget and uh, particularly adopting a budget reconciliation bill, uh, Congress within certain very narrowly confined circumstances can pass something with a simple majority vote in the Senate. Um, And so nuking can consist of either uh, eliminating the filibuster or bypassing the filibuster generally or uh, ramming a square peg through a round hole in order to say that the filibuster rules have been satisfied when they, in fact, have not. So let's get back to uh, those within the Democratic Party today who are advocating for uh, nuking the filibuster. Again, many of them view uh, efforts to nuke it as an unmitigated good, as a a clear good thing with no real trade-offs or downsides. But I think they've got it exactly backwards. Filibuster, in reality, is a a good thing, and it's a tool for both both sides, one that encourages both sides to come together to try to achieve a degree of consensus and compromise. So the truth is that it it is not that hard uh, uh, to pass bills or to get things done in the Senate when we use the tools that are available to debate and to amend and to compromise, and when the bills are not one-sided and ideologically aggressive. At the end of the day, the true purpose of nuking the filibuster is to allow the Senate majority, a simple majority, to pass partisan bills that are simply not compelling enough to attract bipartisan support to be able to get to that 60 vote threshold. Now, if then the left decides to nuke the filibuster, I think that will prove somewhat ironically to have been a disaster for the left. In the long run, and 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 ultimately for the right as well, there is it's virtually certain that the left and the right alike would uh, uh, would regret it in the end. So, for example, if they decide to nuke the filibuster this time around, then the next time there is a red wave election, an election resulting in Republican majorities in the Senate and in the House, and uh, uh, assuming uh, with that election. Uh, Uh, we also get a republican president with only a 51 vote threshold republicans conservatives could pass all kinds of policy reforms that uh, lately uh, these days for the foreseeable future we would never otherwise be able to enact uh, with the 60 vote threshold that means everything from defunding planned parenthood uh, to building a border wall to uh, making all kinds of changes to federal labor laws, uh, collective bargaining agreements, um, all sorts of conservative priorities, including uh, ramming through things like um, school choice, for example. All of these things could be on the table, not to mention uh, budget reforms, regulatory reforms, eliminating federal programs, dramatically slashing um, uh, uh, the federal budget. And so for the first time, really, since the emergence of the modern conservative movement, the entire Republican Party's platform would become legislatively achievable. Now, it, to many of you, that this might sound like a really good thing. And many of you might now be thinking, gosh, if that's the case, if that's where this logically leads, uh, then maybe we should hope that the Democrats nuke the filibuster. I, I don't agree with that. Uh, well, well, nuking the filibuster might be tempting for both sides. I think ultimately, it would be bad for the Senate, and it would be bad for the country. Um, First of all, it it would result in whatever gains either party achieves uh, through this process being rendered very short-term, escalating and dramatically increasing the political temperature in the country, uh, and and making our our political conflicts uh, much more contentious and potentially more violent. As our nation grows bigger and more diverse and, unfortunately, more divided, we really should be seeking consensus, not from, uh, um, and and I think that 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 means we shouldn't be trying to resolve our problems through zero-sum partisan gain whenever we have the chance. And I think we need to have the prudence to check our own ambitions and our own power at the same time. Ultimately, it would mean that both parties would have even less of an incentive to build consensus coalitions. Our elite-driven institutions would, I think, tend in those circumstances to self-reinforce. And our our politics would almost certainly sing to uh, an even angrier and more toxic level. And so even though both parties, uh, including my own, could look at this and conclude, oh, yeah, that sounds exciting. That sounds great. Let's let's do that. I think they have to consider whether we really should do that uh, and whether that would be good for the country as a whole. The Senate from the uh, the outset of the republic in the time of, of George Washington was intended to be the cooling saucer, a place where the tea would slosh around uh, and, and cool. Um, it, it was a um, a body that could allow for emotions to temper and i think the 60 vote cloture standard and the filibuster in particular uh, could really help with that we also i think have to be vigilant um, in watching out for and resisting measures that may appear to be smaller than nuking the filibuster but could be just just as destructive Uh, there are all kinds of ways that they could try to get around The filibuster try to get around the cloture standard while claiming not to have nuked it Um, for example uh, they could try to change the so-called bird rule the rule that manages what can and cannot be passed using the senate's budget reconciliation rules which as i said are a significant uh, but very narrow exception to the 60 vote cloture standard if they do that let's suppose if they try to do that and uh, change it for example to um, increase the minimum wage. That should be perceived as the deployment of a, of a tactical nuke. It may be a smaller explosion, but it still has the same impact. It still uh, would amount to a, a pretty fundamental change uh, to taking uh, what it takes to pass most legislation uh, from 60 votes down to 51 votes. So there are a lot of ways in which this could unravel, but it doesn't necessarily require uh, the Democrats at any given moment to all uh, vote in favor of going nuclear. And that's one of the reasons why we've got to watch out for this, notwithstanding the fact that we've got a couple of um, uh, brave members, including uh, my colleague Joe Manchin from West Virginia and uh, my friend and colleague uh, Kirsten Sinema from Arizona. Um, a graduate of BYU, my alma mater, they've both come out and said that they would not support nuking the filibuster. They wouldn't vote to do it. There are other ways in which this could arise. Let's imagine, for example, uh, the Democrats bring up legislation uh, through budget reconciliation that would doesn't fit within the Byrd rule uh, and therefore would uh, would be subject under the, the proper application of the Senate rules to a 60 vote cloture standard. Uh, Let's suppose further that Vice President Harris recognizing the possibility of a tie vote 50 to 50, given that that's the alignment of Republicans to Democrats in the Senate, that Vice President Harris was sitting in the presiding officer chair ready to cast her deciding vote. Uh, If she being there already uh, arriving uh, that day potentially to cast that vote, any procedural rulings that she makes while in the chair, which she can make regardless of what the parliamentarian is whispering in her ear and is advising her. Any rulings that she makes uh, stick, they stand, unless you get 51 votes um, to overturn her. And so uh, this shows how relatively easy it could be for them to deploy a, a, a so-called tactical nuke. One final thing I want to say about the filibuster before we open it up to any questions you may have. Um, A lot of people raise a legitimate concern about the fact that there are many things, including many important pressing issues, that end up not being debated because of the 60 vote cloture standard. This, I believe, I am fully convinced, reflects not a flaw in the filibuster itself or in the cloture standards themselves. It reflects instead a uh, distorted way in which we've been applying the filibuster. Uh, In other words, as I explained at the outset, the whole purpose of the filibuster is to allow any member to speak at any length that he or she chooses, subject to a limit, meaning that 60 senators can bring debate to a close. If we really applied this the way that it was supposed to be applied, then it wouldn't operate as uh, the same sort of um, Arbitrary feeling that there is a heckler's veto of sorts that can be exercised at any moment by 41 senators. If instead what you required is for people to actually speak as long as they wanted to speak, there are other Senate rules that can take care of um, uh, the rule so that it doesn't become used uh, in in a in an excessively dilatory fashion. For example, uh, for example, Rule 19 of the Senate rules allows for the Senate to limit the number of speeches that a particular Senator may give on a particular legislative day while on a particular legislative project. And so this would end up requiring as a condition for wanting to prolong debate and thus delay getting to legislation. There are ways of controlling the dilatory use of the filibuster that shouldn't, um, and, and that shouldn't mean that in order to address the sometimes dilatory and abusive use of the filibuster, that uh, that we have to nuke the whole thing. With that, let's open it up to questions, and I'd be happy to uh, answer any that you might have. Thank you, sir. We we called this webinar um,
0: "Holding the Line." We could have just as easily called it "Scared Straight," because um, this is a a concerning topic. I mean, the, you know, the, the fact that right now the filibuster is in jeopardy, whether it's um, through the nuclear option, or or an end run, as you describe the tac- tactical nuclear option um, uh, of reconciliation, I, I do think the filibuster is in jeopardy. I thought your last point um, was phenomenal—that um, uh, we shouldn't be afraid of deliberation or debate. In fact, it's a feature of the Senate, and it isn't the filibuster that keeps us from enjoying that debate and and having the fruits of it that we deserve as Americans. Uh, but it is. Uh, the, the culture of the Senate, perhaps, or or the uh, refusal to enforce certain rules uh, that mean we don't get the debate that we, we deserve um, from you all, our senators, um, as Americans. I want to dive into uh, uh, a couple of things, um, and then we've got some questions from the audience racking up here. Um, I want to look at the universe of legislation uh, that perhaps enjoys 51 votes but doesn't enjoy 60 votes. Um, You have a very nice way of putting things. And you said that legislation isn't compelling enough to get to 60. But you went on to say, uh, to hint at the fact that that's where you find the stuff that can absolutely tear us apart. Because it can get 51 and not 60, it means it enjoys unanimous or almost unanimous support by Democrats and uh, unanimous or almost unanimous opposition by Republicans. That's where it's most divisive. Um either that or, or, or that's where something is being tried to ram through at an expedited pace. But I'm I'm concerned about the temperature in this country and how divisive things currently are. If if that's the agenda of the hundred and seventeenth Congress between fifty one and sixty, I think we're in for a lot of trouble. Can you tell us what that you know, in your view, what those bills are, what those policies are that might live there?
1: Yeah. So yeah, in in this Congress if they if all of a sudden we woke up and through whatever stratagem they had gotten rid of the filibuster, they had nuked it in any of the uh, dozens of ways that they could possibly nuke it. Uh, there are a lot of changes that I would expect them to enact rather promptly into law. I think you'd end up seeing legislation um, increasing the minimum wage significantly. I think you'd, you'd see legislation declaring statehood for the District of Columbia and for Puerto Rico. I think you'd see legislation increasing the number of justices on the Supreme Court for 151 years. That has been set. That is a number set by statute, uh, of course, but it's been set for 151 votes, uh, 151 years at nine members of the Supreme Court. I think they would increase that perhaps to 13. Um, I think you'd end up seeing... uh, um, a federal overhaul of the way elections are carried out in the states. And with that, you probably see um, mandatory mail-in balloting uh, for everybody and uh, a lot of other changes to federal election law uh, resulting in a massive federalization of things that are themselves supposed to be carried out by the states. I think you'd probably see a significant move towards some sort of um, Medicare for all program uh, and you would also see a significant move toward many of the objectives of the Green New Deal. You'd see an increase in tax rates and uh, uh, a, a more uh, progressive curve uh, within the Federal Income Tax Code uh, that would be significant. Um, I think all of those would be uh, uh, things that they would pass pretty much right off the bat.
0: So considering that, I'm going to go to a question from the audience here. This one's from Johnny Slimrod. Um, he asks, if the Democrats nuked the filibuster, either by lowering the cloture threshold for legislation or expanding the Bird rule to include policy changes that are non-budgetary, uh, can you describe some of the methods Senate Republicans have at their disposal to retaliate? So I, one, is there anything you can do to stop it? And two, uh, what would come next? You described uh, that both parties would come to regret this. So, uh, both those questions to you,
1: sir. Yeah, uh, great questions. Uh, and yeah, Johnny, this is um, a, a point that we absolutely ought to be discussing. So, I'm glad you raised it. There are a number of reasons why this approach, uh, the, the, the approach that would involve a simple majority in the Senate, saying, notwithstanding our rules, we can pass anything we want with a simple 51-vote majority. There are reasons why we call that the nuclear option. Part of it refers to the sort of mutually assured destruction environment, and it also refers in part to the fact that it would quickly metastasize into other areas of the rules. Uh, let me explain what I mean. And, and this, the, the the answer to both sides of that question are basically the same. In other words, one part of the question is what can we do to stop it and to prevent it, and another is what would follow in the immediate wake of a uh, deployment in one form or another of the nuclear option, they are basically one and the same. Um, uh, First of all, our our exhortations, uh, uh, our explanations of things that could happen in the future uh, are themselves helpful. But it's also helpful for us to point out what the immediate consequences to them would be of doing this. You have to remember that in the Senate, basic everything we do relies on unanimous consent. Uh, within the Senate, we ask for and routinely give and, and receive unanimous consent on just about everything we do. I mean, it, you've got to have unanimous consent for committees to meet after 2 p.m. You've got to have unanimous consent to adjourn for the day or for the weekend. Uh, you've got to have unanimous consent uh, to set up almost any arrangement that we have to set up almost any vote on almost any topic. Once somebody has betrayed the the, the trust inherent in the Senate rules, at that point, um, the, the, the party aggrieved by that, the minority party in this circumstance, could and undoubtedly would come to the floor and start objecting to everything. Uh, I mean, literally everything. Committees would not be able to meet past 2 p.m. In many instances, committees wouldn't be able to meet at all. It had become almost impossible to toggle between the executive calendar, where we're confirming people, and the legislative calendar, uh, where we're voting on legislation. There are ways to do it without consent, but it becomes very difficult and very cumbersome. Adjourning for the weekend, for the week, or 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 even the evening would become very difficult. All those things would result in votes. Those votes would, in turn, tie up the Senate in an endless series of roll calls. Um, You even have the the ultimate uh, possibility, which I think would quickly become a reality, one that um, uh, Senator McConnell referred to last week, which is that under the Constitution, you have to have a majority of senators present in order to have a true quorum, in order to pass legislation or confirm nominees. And in the absence of a simple majority, uh, uh, they're without a quorum. Uh, In theory, in addition to objecting to everything else, which would itself grind the Senate to a halt, there's also this possibility of of, uh, 50 senators not showing up and not giving uh, the Senate a quorum in order to get its work done. So even if we never even had to get to that second stage, Uh, And I'm not sure we would, because I think the first stage would bring the Senate to such a a grinding halt that it wouldn't be able to do anything. There are a lot of things about the nuclear option that are suboptimal, to put it mildly, suboptimal as defined here by uh, making it impossible to do anything in the Senate at all. Without the Senate, you can't pass legislation. Article one, section seven makes clear that you've got to follow a consistent formula uh, when passing any federal law, you've got to have passage both in the house of representatives and in the Senate. And if we don't function, what they do in the house doesn't have any meaning.
0: What you just described is, is a total breakdown of the United States Senate. Um, and, uh, we should all be very concerned about that. Uh, I I think it is um, exactly what flows from a decision to eliminate the filibuster. I don't think that there's any, um, engaging in speculation there. I don't even think there are really decisions that will be made. I think that that is um, a a necessary recourse. It's, uh, you know, it it is the next domino to fall, so to speak. Uh, I just want to get one more very quick audience question in here before we have to go from that very um, concerning future to, to one I think we'd rather live in. This is a great question from Laura Jenkins what institutional changes would best promote deliberation, particularly constitutional deliberation in the Senate? We're going from shutting down debate to actually opening up more debate. How do we get there?
1: Yeah, Laura, great question. Most important thing we could do there is to have more of what the filibuster is designed to protect in the first place. We ought to have more debate rather than less. The whole objective of the theoretically unlimited debate at least on the legislative calendar, consists of allowing members to draw attention to legislation that's pending and uh, uh, consistent with that offering up proposed changes or amendments to that legislation. The more we can unlock the Senate floor to allow for more of that to happen, the more steps we could take to encourage members to remain on the floor, to have these debates and to, to vote more often on more amendments to more bills. That would itself, Lower the emotional political temperature in the room, at least within the Senate, it would, and through that, I think it would help lower the temperature in the country as well. What we've had over the last decade and a half to two decades uh, is somewhat um, unprecedented in the Senate, uh, and it's a problem of bipartisan creation. It's it's happened, unfortunately, under uh, Senate uh, majority leaders of both political parties where increasingly you've seen fewer roll call votes taking place, you've seen a rise in the phenomenon of um, bills, particularly in, in the spending bill arena that are negotiated and written behind closed doors by a small handful of people, you know, possibly four members of Congress at the end of the day in charge of it, meaning the, the, the top Republican and the top Democrat in the House and in the Senate. And then those bills are very often brought to the floor at the very final moment before the expiration of a spending period in order to uh, prevent a government shutdown. Members of both political parties in both houses are told you've got to vote for this, even though you won't have time to read it. This came to a head, this manifested itself in a really nasty way just a few weeks ago when at the expiration of a spending period and just before Christmas, we were presented with a 5,000 593-page spending bill and told we could take it or leave it, but there would be no opportunity to debate it. There would be no opportunity to amend it. Um, This kind of mechanism, the timing with which things are brought to the floor, and uh, especially at the end of a a spending period, and then in the Senate, we call it the um, filing cloture and filling of the tree, a procedural mechanism used by majority leaders to forestall any debate or or at least any substantive amendments causes problems. Uh, But Laura, the, the flip side of that is it's relatively easy to undo. If you open up the Senate and allow and encourage more debate, and in particular, if you made the exercise of the filibuster right contingent upon the willingness and inclination of individual members to speak, then you would have more of what the filibuster rule was actually there to establish in the first place. And you would have less sort of mindless obstruction, which is what this has evolved into. And so I I think we can do better. And it it doesn't, doesn't require us to have harmony. It doesn't require the acquisition of 60 votes in the Senate by a single political party. By the way, that, uh, that hasn't happened in the Senate in the last century. I think in the last century, the most votes that the Republican Party has had in the Senate has been maybe 55 or 56. So we can't just sit around for that day to happen, uh, nor do we need to conclude that everything will be tumultuous or difficult until then. What we need is for the Senate to actually to function according to its own rules, but consistent with that, for those rules to, to work the way that they they have worked for a long time and can work again, we've got to also respect the rules that we now have. We can't do that in an environment in which people just nuke the filibuster.
0: Well, thank you, sir. I want to end by uh, giving you uh, two messages on behalf of the Heritage Foundation. One is thank you for being here. Uh, your explanation of this is invaluable uh, to our audience from the conservative movement that joined us. And the second is if the Heritage Foundation can be helpful to you and your colleagues in protecting and preserving the filibuster, please let us know. We will do all in our power to help you protect this. We see this as one of the most critical priorities uh, for this year, for this Congress, for this presidency, uh, and really uh, would in any context. Thank you, sir.